I hope you are here today and you're hungry uh, because we're going to get into some meat. This isn't going to be milk today. Um, matter of fact, you're probably going to maybe wish after we're all said and done that I would have warned you and you could have wore your steel-toed shoes today because we're probably going to get our feet stepped on a little bit by God. But I am so thankful that I am in his hands uh, when that happens. Today, we are going to end our mini-series in the book of Jonah. Okay? Oh, you're all disappointed. Yeah, we're, we're moving on here. Uh, and i got to be real honest, to be fair, we probably should have finished last week. You know, finished the series last week. Um, there shouldn't even be a chapter 4 of Jonah. I mean, the book should read, Jonah disobeyed, God broke him, then Jonah obeyed, and we ride off into the sunset, and it's a happy ending, and, and you know, everybody is pleased. But that's not the outline of Jonah. Chapter 1, we talked about running away from the will of God. Chapter 2, we talked about being broken to the will of God. Chapter 3, we talked about fulfilling the will of God. And unfortunately, this morning, we're going to talk about questioning the will of God. When you see God working in your life, when you see circumstances happening in your life, and you question, God, what are you doing? I'm not talking about just, hey, what's going on here, God? But I'm talking about really questioning. Questioning, God, are you really on the throne? God, do you really know what's, what's going on? Do you really understand it? Now, I, I think if I had to summarize the book of Jonah and, and the person, the prophet Jonah in and of himself, and his relationship with God, I think I'd probably say that this was a man who never got it. This is a man who never really understood the relationship between the creator and the creation, between God and, and between man. I mean, certainly at the beginning of the book, he certainly doesn't get it. He runs away from God because he thinks he knows better than God. In the middle of the book, you think he gets it because he's finally broken and he obeys God. But at the end, we're reminded that he still didn't get it. I mean, a revival is breaking out all around him. God is being honored in a, in a pagan city. And God's prophet just can't stand it. And he questions what God is doing. So with that, let's go to chapter 4. And I'm going to ask you to stand as we read chapter 4 in reverence to the word of God. Um, again, I want to kind of, you know, run us up to it. If you remember, you know, Jonah's been swallowed by the fish. He kind of relents. God, I'll do what you have called me. So God preaches to, to the city of Nineveh, which was the capital of the Assyrians. And when he preaches, they repent. They change their actions and see if God won't relent in this calamity that he's sent towards us. And so kind of as a run-up to chapter 4, let me start back in verse 10 of chapter 3. It says, When God saw their deeds, that they turned from their wicked way, then God relented concerning the calamity which he had declared that he would bring upon them. And he did not do it. But it greatly displeased Jonah. And he became angry. And he prayed to the Lord and he said, Please, Lord, was not this what I said while I was still in my own country? Therefore, in order to forestall this, 
I fled to Tarsus, for I know that you are a gracious and compassionate God, that you're slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, and you're one who relents concerning calamity. Therefore, for now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for death is better to me than life. The Lord said, Do you have good reason to be angry? Then Jonah went out from the city, and he sat east of it. There he made a shelter for himself, and he sat under it in the shade until he could see what would happen to the city. So the Lord appointed a plant, and it grew up over Jonah to be shade over his head to deliver him from his discomfort. And Jonah was extremely happy about the plant. But God appointed a worm when dawn came the next day, and it attacked the plant, and it withered. And the sun came up, and God appointed a scorching east wind. And the sun beat down on Jonah's head, so that he became faint. And he begged with all his soul to die, saying, Death is better to me than life. Then God said to Jonah, Do you have a good reason to be angry about the plant? And he said, I have good reason to be angry, even to death. Then the Lord said, You had compassion on the plant for which you did not work, and which did not, you did not cause to grow, which came up overnight and perished overnight. Should I not have compassion on Nineveh, the great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know the difference between their right and left hand, as well as many animals? You may be seated. <coughs> so instantly as we start reading chapter 4, I mean, it greatly displeased Jonah. He became angry, praised to the Lord. Please, Lord, was not this what I said while I was still in my own country? Instantly, you step back and say, what is Jonah's problem here? I mean, shouldn't Jonah be thrilled? I mean, one preacher, one simple preacher, God poured his message into him. And he went into a city, and over 120,000 people repented and turn their attention and their hearts to God. Folks, i got to tell you, if one or two of you say anything to me about the morning message afterwards, I'm thrilled, and it makes my day. I mean, what, what's wrong with him? That this city, this pagan city, these people that were away from God, suddenly they're turning to God in sackcloth and ashes, and they're humbling themselves, they're changing their actions, they're changing their, the evil that they were doing. You know, what's his problem? Now, before we're too hard on Jonah, we need to understand his line of thinking. And we reference this throughout uh, this series here. Uh, basically, Jonah needed Nineveh to be destroyed. He needed Nineveh to be destroyed. Uh, you know, Nineveh is the capital of Assyria. And the Assyrians was, were Israel's greatest threat at that time. You know, but now their sin has come up before God. And so if he judges them... Israel's greatest threat is going to be removed. They'll be safe. If, however, Jonah goes and preaches to them, and they repent, and then God won't judge them, Israel will still be threatened and possibly destroyed. So there's, that's Jonah's reasoning here. And I want to tell you something here, I, and, and don't be too shocked by this truth here. Jonah is right. Jonah is right in his thinking. The Assyrians do destroy Israel 50 years later. 
Tens of thousands are going to die. The city is going to be ransacked. People are going to be enslaved and prisoners. I mean, it makes a little sense when Jonah says, was this not what I said would happen? I understood this, God. You didn't understand it. He was afraid that this revival would, would happen for a good reason. And that would mean that ultimately, you know, Nineveh would still be there to be God's instrument of judgment. If only God would have done it Jonah's way. Now we know this statement is bad that I'm saying. Who can counsel God? Who knows better than God? Who knows more than God? But we need to be honest with ourselves. Isn't it hard sometimes for us to accept God's will? When we're living through the circumstances and what are going on in our life, and, you know, we, I mean, every day, 24-7, we've got them bearing down on us. And isn't it easy to feel that we know more about what should happen than God knows? I mean, our wisdom isn't much different than Jonah's wisdom. We have our reasonable list of what's best. When loved ones get sick, God heals. When money becomes a problem, God provide. When danger is present, keep us safe. When a grandchild is born, don't let them have a half a heart. We want them healthy. Those things don't make sense to us as we place them and we, we see God's moving and working and things coming to them. God, are we, are we really any different in our lives than Jonah is in his life? I mean, the only difference is his is plastered for all of eternity on the pages for us to, to read and to cluck our tongues about. But to realize that we each have a little bit of Jonah in all of us. We won't say it, but we feel this statement that I know better, a better way, God. But you wouldn't do it. I know a better way, and you're just not doing it for me, God. And when we have thoughts like that, folks, it can re lead to a really dark place. I mean, it can lead, lead to a place of doubt, a place of despair, a place of anger at God. You remember Job's wife, you know, when all those things were befalling Job's family? And the wife's answer to it was, curse God and die. You know, she was angry. Curse God, let him strike me down here. You see, we find Jonah is in a dark place here. Matter of fact, three times as you read chapter 4 here, three times he wants to die. Chapter three, Verse 3, verse 8, verse 9. You know, to the point of death, take my life, God. And we, we find Jonah sitting around hoping God doesn't give mercy. Verse 5, God, don't give them mercy. It's a dark place. And it's a real double standard. I mean, it's easy for us. Again, this is all laid out for us, and we get to dissect it. We get to talk about him. It's very easy for us to look at Jonah's life and see this, this double standard. I mean, he accepted mercy and grace, but he didn't want to offer it to others. You know, it's staggering, you know, of, of Jonah's sin that he turns around and then has this, this lack of, of mercy. Remember, we talked in one of the earlier messages that 
Jonah's knowledge had increased about God. He knew a lot about God. But his imitation of God had ceased. You know, it didn't match what he knew. His imitation of God was way low. And again, are we any different? We want God to love us. But there's people, there are circumstances out in this world that we look at today. We want justice for them. We want God's love. We want God's mercy. We want God's compassion. But it's easy to look at somebody else, somebody who has offended us, somebody who we feel is offending God right now, and want to remove that. We want justice. I mean, how do we feel about the homosexuals and the transgenders who shove their agenda down our throat? Do we want mercy? Do we want grace? Do we want forgiveness and restoration for them? Do we want justice? How do you feel about those who perform abortions? Who, who sell this lie to women and, and you know, talk them into having abortions? How do you feel about them? Man, I just want justice. How do you feel about terrorists beheading Christians? Personally, I don't want grace and mercy for rapists and child molesters. Let them burn. And it's not a very Christian thought. But if we're honest, and that's where it all starts, for God to work in our hearts, we need to be honest with him. Jonah never was. 2 Peter 3.9 will put this up for you. It says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promises, as some count slackness or slowness, but is patient towards you. He's not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. And so when we are today, we are crying justice, justice, justice. God is crying patience, repentance, compassion, mercy. And, and I think if we're, we're honest, the problem is we think we are more worthy to be saved than a terrorist or an abortionist or, or a criminal. When the actual reality is no one is worthy of it. We are not worthy to be saved and be called the children of God. Matter of fact, I love this quote. Um, someone once said that witnessing is one beggar showing another beggar where to get food. That's what it is. One beggar showing another beggar where to get food. It's not because we're any better. It's because we're there. We've been there. We understand, you know, where they are. In Romans chapter 9, verse 14 through 18, God says this, and again, this is the meat. This is, this is deep things for us to understand about God and our relationship and us to get in our relationship to who we are to him. Romans 9 says, what shall we say then? There is no injustice with God, is there? May it never be. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom will I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it does not depend on the man who wills or the man who runs, but on God who has mercy. For scripture says to Pharaoh, for this purpose I raised you up to demonstrate my power in you and that my name might be proclaimed throughout the whole earth. So then he has mercy on whom he desires, 
and he hardens whom he has, you know, whom he has, or excuse me, whom he desires to have. So that is, that's man's wisdom. You know, coming up, hitting a wall against God's wisdom. Let, let's, let's switch gears for just a second. Let's talk about God's wisdom here. And th these are, again, this is a hard saying, a hard truth to take. But God's wisdom laid out in verses 5 through 11. He kind of walks uh, Jonah through it. Um, and, and as I'm looking at verses 5 through 11, what God does to Jonah, I, I'm reminded of the verse, and we quote it often, Romans 8, 28. It says, we know that God causes all things to work together for good. To those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. I mean, shouldn't only good happen to God's people? We love to think that we get to decide what good means. And that's our problem here in, in understanding our relationship to God. It is God who determines what is good. It is God determines his will and how all this is going to ultimately lead to a glory and an eternity and to heaven and all those promises being fulfilled. It is God. It's not me. You know, God determines it, and many times it's not what we think should happen. I mean, how could Nineveh's repentance possibly be good? I mean, Jonah obviously thought that it would be the worst thing possible. I mean, he saw them, and he saw them in real light, that they were a threat. They were a growing power. They were a tremendously evil nation. They were cruel in their, in their military battles. And even though he could see them so clearly, one thing he couldn't see very clearly was God's people Israel, living in idolatry, disobedient to God, serving idols, living in in sin. And again, you know, Jonah, like us, is going to move that God should do good things for us, and good means take care of us. Good means protect us. And we think the same way. I mean, how could a sickness be a good thing in our life? How could a, a heartache be a good thing in our life? Now, a lot of the things that come into our life, a lot of problems that we come into our life are somewhat self-inflicted wounds, poor decisions on our part or maybe somebody else's part, and, and, and you know, we are a byproduct of it, and, you know, we, we get the residual of it. But other times, you know, God has a plan for us in the suffering, in the hardship. Ours is simply to obey. His ways are higher than our ways. It says in Isaiah chapter 55, verse 8 and 9, he says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than yours, and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. God says, matter of fact, <coughs> I mean, if we could put some distance here between my thoughts are higher than yours, not just a little higher, they're, they're a lot higher. God's ways and God's workings to ultimately come to what he has promised for everything in the word to be fulfilled, it is way beyond us. And God may be working things that we cannot see in our life. And the hard truth is, he's not necessarily obligated to tell us what he is doing. 
but we need to trust him during that times. Charles Spurgeon once said, and I believe it's been put, I know it's been put to a song. He said, God is too good to be unkind, and he is too wise to be mistaken. And when we cannot trace his hand, trust his heart. God is too good to be unkind. He is too wise to be mistaken. And we cannot trace his hand. We need to trust his heart. And there are a lot of times and there are a lot of circumstances in our life that I don't understand. And, and, and certainly through the lens that I'm looking at things happening that I would do things differently than God is doing. And sometimes it's hard to trace the hand of God and how and why he could be using this. But when you can't trace his hand, our call is to trust our heart, to know who God is, to know the love that he has for us. So back to Jonah for just a second here. In Jonah chapter 4, and uh, in, verse, in, chap, in chapter 4, verse 4, the Lord, it says, the Lord said, do you have a good reason to be angry? So God poses a question to Jonah. And interesting, Jonah doesn't answer the question at all. He will later, but God doesn't an, or Jonah doesn't answer the question right now. So God gives him an experience lesson. He, he gives him three things that he has prepared to teach him. Matter of fact, if, if you go back through the book of Jonah, a lot of the book is, as you're tracing the hand of God, is God preparing, God preparing. God prepared, you know, a storm. God prepared a fish. You know, in chapter 4, we see that God prepared a plant. Then God prepared a worm to kill the plant. Then God prepared an east wind to, to blow down and scorching heat to, to press down upon Jonah. He's, he's trying to drive home a lesson, and it comes down to verse 9. Then God says to Jonah, again, similar question to verse 4, says, do you have a good reason to be angry about the plant? And he said to him, I have good reason to be angry, even to death. Then the Lord said, you had compassion on the plant for which you did not work, and which you did not cause to grow. In other words, you didn't even plant it. You didn't water it. You didn't weed it. You did absolutely nothing. I did all the work, all the work for it. It came up overnight, perished overnight. And you have more compassion for that plant than for these people whom I created, who I have made, who I've placed here on this earth, who I want to know, who I want to, you know, be their God, be their father. Should I not have compassion on Nineveh, the great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know the, the difference between their right and their left hand, as well as many animals i mean shouldn't i you have pity for a plant but no pity you know for for mankind for for animals and be honest jonah's interest in the plant wasn't that he cared about the plant it was a self-interest you know it wasn't a genuine love oh how could that happen to that poor plant it was that oh my goodness i've lost my shade i've lost my comfort those things have been taken away from me. God to Noah, if it wasn't right for the plant, then how can it be right for Nineveh? That's the question. Shouldn't a merciful and compassionate God spare those who are willing to turn from their sins? And shouldn't we, 
as his children, shouldn't we have compassion? And shouldn't we have mercy? And shouldn't we be known as people of, of grace? But remember, again, it's easy for our knowledge to increase, but our imitation to cease. We need to make sure that's not happening in our life. So to close here, I want, I want, to, I want to close with verse 12. So someone read verse 12 for me there. Okay, don't worry. Your Bible is not missing verse 12. There isn't a verse 12. We don't get to hear Jonah's response to that. After all of this, is Jonah finally cut to the heart? Does he ask forgiveness? Does he return to Israel with joy that God has had mercy on this pagan city? It's easy to be optimistic about that, but the realist in me tells it, says that it's probably fairly unlikely. You know, it's safe to assume that Jonah still doesn't get it. He didn't get it when God called him and told him to go. He didn't get it when he finally obeyed. He absolutely rejected it when they were converted. And I imagine he heads home angry and disappoint, disappointed. Jonah... Jonah is a man who, with a life that never got it. He never got it. But the question we are left with, are we people who get it? Do we understand what God was trying to teach Jonah here? What this whole scenario, of even why God chose Jonah and told him to go to Nineveh and all these lessons that he's putting out there for us? Do we get it? Do we obey when God commands us, when he tells us to do something? Or do we run like Jonah? Do we run like Jonah or do we submit like Isaiah? You know, when God says, who am I and who shall go for me? And Isaiah said, here my Lord, send me. You know, yes, I'll go. Now, you know, what do you want me to do? Do we repent when God breaks us? When we go out of line and, and God brings us back, do we repent? We respond to that still small voice that God places through his word and other people in our life? Or, or does God have to send us a big fish? Do we have to go through some trauma in our life? Do we rejoice when God fulfills his will? I mean, do we celebrate? Do we give him glory? Or do we complain? Or maybe even worse yet, become, you know, proud. Look what I've done. Do we trust when God works things that we don't understand? Or do we pout like Jonah? Are we people who get it today? That we understand that relationship between the creator and the creation. That we understand the gulf between his wisdom and our wisdom. His ways and our ways. It doesn't mean that we don't continue to reach out to God and we don't cast our cares upon him doesn't mean that we don't pray to him and we ask him to, to move in our circumstances. But do we, in the end, do we accept that God is God alone and I am not? And we trust his hand in our life. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father God, 
this really fights against everything in culture today. Everything I'm hearing, TV and the media, that tells me how self-important I am. That I need to be myself, to express myself. But God, I thank you that there's something bigger than each and every one of us going on. Your kingdom, the building of your kingdom. And I pray for each and every one of us here as, as this filters down into our life. I know some people are going through some really difficult times, really difficult circumstances right now. And I, I just pray, Father, that we will be able to trace your hand. And if we can't trace your hand, that, Father, that we will just trust your heart, that you are good and a loving God, that you are just. And we are just so thankful for to have our lives poured out as a drink offering before you. And I just recommit myself to be used for your honor and for your glory. Amen. All things work for our good. Though sometimes we can't see how they Struggles that break our hearts in two sometimes blind us to the truth. Our Father knows what's best for us. His ways are not our own. So when your pathway and you just can't see him remember you're never alone god is too wise to be mistaken god is too good to be unkind so when you don't
to be 